0: AMU American Military University is proud to present the following podcast on behalf of In Homeland Security.
1: Hi and welcome to American Military University's podcast series on preventing human trafficking. I'm Leishan Kranick, your host, and today I'm joined by a subject matter expert who has experience researching, studying, and actively working to combat human trafficking around the world. I'd like to welcome Dr. Michael Pataro, who is an associate professor of criminal justice with American Military University. Good morning, Dr. Pataro.
0: morning. How are you today?
1: I'm great. Thank you so much for being with us. I want to just give our audience a little background about you so they can understand a little bit about how you've been involved in preventing human trafficking. Dr. Pataro is a criminal justice veteran with an extensive background working with criminal offenders in a variety of institutional and non-institutional settings. He's written several publications, including one titled International Efforts by Police Leadership to Combat Human Trafficking. He has also been involved in a project on pornography and its link to international sex trafficking in children. So for our conversation today, I'd like to start by talking about sort of the scope of human trafficking and its effects around the world. As you know, a lot of people have a misconception uh, that human trafficking is just a problem, you know, in impoverished third world countries, but that's really not the case. Dr. Pataro, I was hoping could you start by just talking about the fact that human trafficking is a domestic problem as much as an international problem?
0: Absolutely. Human trafficking is essentially a form of modern-day slavery, so no country is necessarily immune to it. While it does occur in larger numbers in impoverished countries, that doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't occur elsewhere. So it's in the United States as both a destination and origin country, but globally, nearly every corner of the world is touched by human trafficking.
1: And so in your work, you've sort of approached this from a couple different perspectives. Can you start by talking about your work on the maybe the international front? I understand that you've done some work with the FBI and other law enforcement agencies to sort of tackle human trafficking. Can you talk about that both from an Internet based problem as well as, you know, an in-person problem?
0: Absolutely. This started in I think it was 2014. And this was my focus essentially was focusing on how law enforcement, particularly municipal law enforcement officers, may encounter human trafficking schemes or rings, but not necessarily recognize it. So my goal was to provide some education and awareness that human trafficking occurs everywhere and that it's not just confined to major U.S. cities, metropolitan areas. Areas, but rather rural, suburban, pretty much everywhere in the U.S., as well as other countries. In 2016, I believe it was June 2016, I did publish an article with uh, Anthony Normore, who's a Canadian researcher, and that article was published in uh, the law enforce- FBI Law Enforcement Bulletin. And what we focused on was trying to coordinate from a global effort getting local, state, regional, and of course your national law enforcement organizations to come together to try to tackle this problem. Because it's not a United States problem, it's a global problem. And in order to truly be successful and effective in trying to reduce these numbers, We really need the cooperation of other countries, particularly those countries that are most vulnerable or at risk of human trafficking. So the focus of our article was just that. We need the cooperation. We need collaboration. We need to share intelligence. And that's the only way that we're going to truly be able to combat this problem. Human trafficking is very similar to drug trafficking and weapons trafficking. So it doesn't occur in an isolated area. It's transnational in scope. So to truly be effective, we need to combine our efforts with other law enforcement leaders across the globe to try to address this issue.
1: I think that's a really interesting uh, approach and something that is probably, in reality, the most effective way for law enforcement to really tackle this problem is, one... For the average beat cop to have more training and awareness about what does human trafficking look like, it doesn't necessarily look like a beat up woman, it's children. I think I read that the average age of a victim of human trafficking when they first were brought into it is the age of 12, which is just heart wrenching. Many officers may not know that. They may think, you know, it's connected to prostitution. They may not just have a good idea of what a victim even looks like. And even if they did, what's the next step? How do you uh, bring it to the attention of the federal law enforcement? How do you kind of connect the dots to try to identify some of these rings. And really, it's just like a drug dealer. You don't necessarily need to arrest all the low drug dealers. You really want to get to the kingpin in the heart of who's orchestrating these human trafficking rings. From a training perspective, if you had the best of all worlds and you could come up with like a training program, is there anything you would point to as just being crucial to the the international training effort? when it comes to human trafficking?
0: Oh, absolutely. But before I respond to that, a couple of things that you mentioned, I just wanted to clarify. When we think of human trafficking, most of us think of sex trafficking and women and children, which is essentially the bulk of most trafficking. But human trafficking also consists of labor trafficking, organ trafficking, child soldiering, and even child terrorism. So it goes a little bit further than the sex trafficking. But your local law enforcement officer is more likely to encounter some type of prostitution ring in which women and children may be actually victims of trafficking and not necessarily criminals per se. So the whole idea is to look a little bit beyond the obvious to determine whether or not these individuals are being coerced and forced into prostitution. And even more so, we're starting to see that there's a huge connection or a significant connection between pornography, particularly child pornography, and sex trafficking in women and children. So I think to get back to your question to answer that, I think one thing we learned, particularly after 9-11, was that we had intelligence, but we weren't necessarily sharing that intelligence with our state and local law enforcement officers. And I think that was part of the problem. So what we've since learned since 9-11 is that in order to truly combat these problems, we need to create task forces. And I'm a big advocate for creating a task force. Now, a task force traditionally consists of local, state, and federal law enforcement. But now we've also combined efforts with your community-based organizations, So, and then as well as getting the public involved. So that's truly, in my opinion, the best way to tackle these issues is that we have to have everyone involved. It has to be private citizens, businesses, community-based programs, law enforcement, government agencies. That's the true way of tackling this issue. So I think task forces have been successful. I think that we are making some headway there. And in all honesty, the local law enforcement officers, the one that is most likely going to just come upon a human trafficking ring. So he or she has to look a little bit beyond the obvious and not necessarily approach it as a criminal potential problem, but that these individuals may be victims. And I think that's hard sometimes for law enforcement officers to get out of that mentality that you're approaching a prostitution ring and thinking that it's essentially a group of criminals, when in actuality, it actually may be victims of sex trafficking. And so I think that we're, we're seeing some significant improvements, particularly from the last five years. I think local law enforcement now has received some training. They are more aware that it is occurring in their municipalities, and they are teaming up with state and federal law enforcement officials. So just in a mere five years, I've seen some tremendous progress.
1: That's very reassuring that officers are taking this subject and this problem, I don't want to say more seriously, but that there's more awareness around it. And like you said, it's not just seeing that someone's a prostitute, throwing them in jail, having their trafficker bail them out. It's like this endless cycle of abuse. So. It is very reassuring. And I I know just from speaking with officers on a fairly regular basis that it is much more on the front of their mind and uh, understanding that unlike drugs or, or guns or other weapons like that, Human trafficking is incredibly profitable because you can, quote unquote, sell a person over and over with drugs. You sell it once, whatever. But human trafficking, it's really there's a huge profit in that. And I, I forget, do you know what the figure is in terms of the scope of the financial problem? Is it like thirty two billion dollar industry or something like that?
0: Yes. Conservative estimates are between thirty-two billion hundred and fifty billion. Obviously, we don't know the true extent of it, but we can pretty much assume that it's very profitable. But also, unlike drugs, where it's easy to detect through a variety of, whether it be canines or some type of source to identify drugs, with trafficking, it's more difficult to identify actual victims. And then there's also the component that many of the victims actually fear law enforcement because in some countries, sadly... Corruption is rampant. So you have the military as well as law enforcement involved in some of these trafficking schemes. So that's part of the problem. But then there's also threats from the traffickers that if they say something, that the traffickers will go after their families. Then we have to add in that there's cultural barriers, there's language barriers. So To have victims come forward is a little bit more difficult, which also helps in having traffickers, I guess you could say, cover their tracks as far as trying to identify them. So there's a lot of issues at play here. I also talked about Stockholm Syndrome, where the victims actually start to identify with their captors. And so there's more at risk there where they're not willing to come forward to local law enforcement. So you may have a victim who is kind of reluctant or fearful of coming forward, and that presents a huge problem. So I would say that the estimates, the 32 billion to 150 billion are very conservative estimates. I would say it's far more profitable, particularly if you add in pornography and then the selling of that pornography in the underground market, you just increase that profitability significantly.
1: I'm glad you brought that up again because that's a big thing I wanted to talk about right after this message. Working in homeland security requires versatile experts to handle domestic and international security issues. A homeland security degree at American Military University offers you the chance to improve your expertise and develop practical knowledge for combating terrorism and security threats to our nation. Learn from experienced leaders in homeland security. Apply today at amuonline.com. We're back. I'm hoping you can talk a little bit From specifically a law enforcement perspective, how important it is for agencies to be increasingly robust when it comes to online criminal activity and how they can really do a lot of investigation online whether it's on the dark net or other forums that might actually live on the the open internet when it comes to the sale of people you know i know i've seen on back pages which i don't know if that exists anymore but there's not very covertly <laughs> advertised prostitution, but there's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of connections there. So can you kind of talk about the online aspect of this and how it's just a growing uh, advertising portal for human trafficking a lot of times?
0: Absolutely. I think with the advent of the internet, I think that increased all crimes. We're seeing traditional street crimes now going over to the internet to take advantage of the internet's capabilities, the ability to communicate. So Why not have sex offenders and traffickers do the same? So we are seeing that. There's no doubt about it. And the actual website that you mentioned, Backpages, was probably the biggest enemy, I guess you could say, in promoting this. But the government has since gone after Backpages, and I believe they're actually closed down now. I believe they shut them down. But the issue is it's much easier to do business, illegal business, through the internet It's a huge, huge, huge area right there with potential targets across the globe. And it's an easier way for traffickers to communicate with one another. But to give you an example here, here's a perfect example. Let's say you have an American male, travels overseas, goes to a country, say Thailand. He rents a girl, because you can rent, rents a girl. And while he's molesting this young girl... He's live streaming it. So you have people that are paying to watch him molest this girl. And then this is recorded. So then the recording is then sent through the dark web and underground market as child pornography. So the The victim is being victimized in a physical way, but also being exploited and re-victimized through the creation and distribution of this child pornography. So that's just one example So, And as you mentioned, if you have a young person, typically a young girl, they can essentially be trafficked and used for many years. Whereas if you have drugs, say an example of like a kilo of cocaine, that kilo can only be cut down so much before it's completely gone. So this is what's making it very attractive to criminals, particularly organized crime groups as well. So you're seeing a lot of organized crime groups kind of moving a little bit away from the drug trafficking and more into the sex trafficking simply because it's more difficult to detect from a law enforcement perspective. And the profits are just simply very significant profits. And I think that's the attractive part of it.
1: I want to try to wrap up our conversation on a positive note that there's something that law enforcement and even kind of the average person can do to sort of address this. Is there, we talked a little bit about training and how that is happening. Um, I know law enforcement is increasingly active on the dark net and there's a lot of covert operations happening that none of us will ever know about. But do you see? The potential for this problem to be probably never will be eliminated. It'll never go away. But do you see law enforcement being able to get ahead of this problem or or address it? Or is it just such a massive problem?
0: There's no doubt about it. It's very massive in scope. It's global. It's occurring everywhere. But on a positive note, I've seen an incredible amount of improvement as far as law enforcement's efforts to combat it. Just thinking of my own area in Pennsylvania, we've had so many human trafficking rings exploited, and we've had the traffickers arrested and prosecuted, and that's through the cooperation of state and federal law enforcement authorities as well. So I think the approach we should take is similar to the terrorism watch alerts. If you see something, say something. Don't look the other way, and if your intuition tells you that something is not right, then report it. So I think we are seeing that change. I think that we are going to see a reduction in human trafficking. Will we eliminate it entirely? Wishful thinking, but probably not. But we can definitely reduce it and minimize it. I think that requires that we need to come together as a nation, but also come together as a global society. The other thing I would suggest is that we kind of approach this from a public health perspective and not just look at it as a criminal justice problem. I think that when you have an issue of this magnitude, the public health perspective is probably the better approach. And that's looking at it as this is a societal, this is a global societal problem here. So we have to recognize the at-risk factors, victims that are at risk, prevention efforts, education, awareness. We really need to kind of approach this from kind of like a grassroots perspective. And to me, we'll be effective. But when you have the task forces, you combine with community-based organizations, the average citizen, I think if we get everyone involved, we can definitely make a huge, huge impact in the right direction.
1: And I think that's a great point to make is that it's not just a law enforcement problem. It's everyone's problem. And it's something that... We need to be aware of, like you said, from the medical community and a public health perspective to the average citizen. I've seen some really good stories recently, which kind of bring publicity to the issue where there was that example of a stewardess identifying a human trafficking victim as she was being trafficked to a different state. I know there's an entire organization that focuses on training flight attendants to identify trafficked victims because that's how a lot of them um, are transported. It's not in a car. It's a lot easier to put them on a plane, take them across the country. Obviously, it's a lot faster. So I think those kind of, like you said, grassroots movements that bring awareness to everyone, to the average citizen, about what to look for. And I I do think that people have really learned that we can't stay quiet about things. When you see, like you said, when you see something, you do need to say something. You can't just ignore signs, whether it's potential terrorism, human trafficking, or just someone being mistreated, I think. And I hope that people continue to step up and try to really advocate for those who can't advocate for themselves. So I think it's like you said, there's a lot of promise and hope that we can really at least take some steps to reduce the scope of human trafficking. So, uh, Dr. Pitar, I want to I wanna thank you for joining us for this podcast. Is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you think is really critical to the human trafficking prevention effort? No, I just believe that,
0: like you said, getting everyone involved in this. You mentioned the, um, the airlines, but there's also truckers against trafficking. There's hairstylists are now being trained to identify a potential victim, doctors. Everyone's trying to get involved. I've seen such improvement with the amount of awareness that trafficking does occur here. It is in your backyard. So I think that if we continue to do that and spread awareness and educate people as to what a victim may encounter, if you come across something that just doesn't feel right to report it, I think people feel a little bit more comfortable reporting these instances rather than looking the other way. So I definitely think we've seen improvement and we'll continue to see more improvement as time goes on.
1: Well, thank you very much for your work in this area and your effort to share what you've learned through your research and your both academic and law enforcement career. It's a, obviously a really important issue that the more we can all come together, the better. So thank you for your work and for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you very much. And I want to thank the audience for listening to this podcast on human trafficking prevention. This is Leishan Kranick from American Military University.
0: For the latest Homeland Security news, visit InHomelandSecurity.com and sign up for our daily newsletter. Thank you for listening. AMU. American Military University.